At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. On today's episode, we talk about mindfulness versus psychedelics. We talk about psychedelics for the treatment of depression. We talk about the limitations of psychedelics as well as the limitations of mindfulness. I'm Jacob Drossett. We are here with Sarah Valley. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great, Jacob. Thank you. So sometimes I like to throw Jacob a bone. Today we are talking about psychedelics. I know Jacob likes talking about that. And Jacob has COVID, so he's not feeling totally great, but he's here and showing up and, and doing the job. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm mostly normal. Still testing positive, but I, I feel pretty much normal. I feel like I have like some bad allergies right now. And you know how close Jacob and his wife are, you know, from hearing some of our episodes and they had to quarantine from each other. So it's very sad. Yeah. I mean, it's no different than anybody else's experience, I'm sure. But you know, when you're in the middle of it, it's like, this sucks. Hopefully this conversation maybe lift your spirits a little bit. <laughs> This is one of my favorite topics. Although we're going to begin with talking about depression. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) So depression affects 6% of U.S. adult males. About 10% of adult females in the U.S. are diagnosed with clinical depression. And 14% of people who are more than one race are diagnosed with clinical depression. The worldwide stat on clinical depression is only 5%. So we are in general just a little bit more depressed than other areas of the world. And there is something called treatment-resistant depression, which means that you've been diagnosed with clinical depression, but you don't respond to two or more different antidepressant medications. About 25% of those who are diagnosed with clinical depression are considered to have treatment-resistant depression. And so today is a little bit of a rivalry between mindfulness and psychedelics, specifically for treating depression. I tried to find two different studies that were as compatible as possible. One that was about treating depression with psychedelics and another study that is about treating depression with mindfulness cognitive based therapy. So basically with with mindfulness. So we will see who wins out here in this this comparison. Psychedelics are used to treat mental health conditions such as depression and substance abuse disorders. Ayahuasca is one that is used quite frequently in this type of research. Ayahuasca is a psychoactive plant tea that's usually made of two plants. One is the vine of B. Cappy. B stands for a word that none of us can pronounce. And also in this tea are the leaves of P. aridus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The reason that they combine these two ingredients 
is so the ingredients stay active in your body for a longer period of time. So it lasts between about four and six hours with the peak effects between one and two hours after you ingest it. And ayahuasca has effects up to two months after use, and they commonly refer this to as the afterglow. So yeah, I'm kind of the more straight and narrow one maybe of the two of us. So this is not a topic that I typically talk about. It's not one that I know a whole lot about. It's not something that I've done. I haven't gone and experienced one of these ceremonies. I mean, when I was younger, in my 20s, I did shrooms. How about you, Jacob? Have you, uh, have you done this? Ayahuasca? No, no. I've heard a lot about it. I'm very much curious about I like hearing a lot about ritual and ceremony in general, and then I like hearing about psychedelics, and when they're combined, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I I don't know. It's the whole idea of purging, which is pretty common. So it's pretty common practice in a lot of like ceremonial type situations that give you a bucket because a lot of people get very vomitous and uh, they get bowel issues and stuff, and that just does not sound fun to me at all. But yeah, I really like the ceremonial type aspect of it versus like DMA and psilocybin based therapies that's therapeutic so it's usually just you and a therapist maybe one other person in the room so the idea of being in a group setting and having an experience like that sounds kind of kind of nice and and different and kind of more true to tradition but yeah there is like a a big thing on the internet too with like rent a shaman hoax people to me it's always sounded a bit exotic and out of reach so to speak more so than than another type of therapy yeah well one of the things i was surprised about when i was reading these studies is people who do this they do it a lot there were some people involved in the study who'd done it up to 130 times during a span of five to nine years yes the purging part is a huge piece to this spiritual experience did you know that The reason that people drink so much on New Year's Eve is because of an ancient purging ritual. So what people used to do at the end of the year, they used to take several bottles of wine per person and they would actually go by themselves somewhere and they would just drink and drink and drink until they started vomiting. (laughs) Apparently that's like somehow connected to our now ritual of going and getting trashed on on New Year's and and maybe still vomiting. (laughs) I would love to hear more about that. That's really interesting. (laughs) I'd never heard that. Yeah. So let me go over the neurological explanation of ayahuasca, why on a neurological level, it's helpful for our mental health. There are chemicals called 5-HT and 5-HT2A agonists. And what they do is they activate receptors in the brain as if serotonin was activating the receptors. And so as we know, serotonin affects mood, memory, cognition. So that's one of the the reasons that the effects are so positive. And I was interested to read this today that 90% of your serotonin is produced in your intestines. Did you know that? I did not. I know that the gut-brain connection is like very hot nowadays. I wondered if this had any connection to the vomiting aspect. Because, I can see that, yeah. The serotonin receptors. Another neurological reason that the ayahuasca treatments work is that it makes connections in our brain between the different neural networks. And that is very valuable to us. For example, makes a connection between the anterior 
cingulate cortex, the ACC, and the posterior cingular cortex, the PCC, and the anterior cingulate cortex supports emotional processing and thinking, and the posterior cingulate cortex is important to the default mode network. And the reason maybe that's important is when we're in the default mode network, which is when we're not really thinking about anything specific, we tend to move into rumination and worry. And that's what leads us to depression. So it's helpful to wake ourselves up and be alert, be mindful to keep us out of the default mode network. And lastly, ayahuasca possibly grows the anterior cingulate cortex. Studies show that ayahuasca users have a larger, thicker anterior cingulate cortex than people who were in control groups. So that's interesting. Yeah. Have you ever read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind? No, no. Tell me about that. So it really changed the landscape because Michael Pollan was not a person who wrote about psychedelics, literally mostly written about plants, ironically. So then he got very curious and started researching. He was a journalist for the New York Times for a very long time. He found out about this like underground therapeutic you know, psychedelic network of doctors that were administering psychedelics in a therapeutic setting. And people were just getting absolutely profound, life-changing results. Now there's government-funded agencies that are administering psychedelics for people. So long story short, if somebody's listening to this and they don't know anything about what happens with any of the brain stuff that Sarah just mentioned, uh, Michael gives it an amazing analogy. When you are a kid and it is a snow day and you go down the road to the hill in your neighborhood or wherever where everybody snow sleds. The ideal situation, you got to get there as early as possible so there's a fresh blanket of snow on the ground. The worst situation is somebody in the house is taking too long, you show up and there's the hill is just covered with tracks. What happens when the hill is covered with tracks when you go to snow sled, you try to like pave your own way and as soon as you start down the hill, you'll slide into somebody else's track. Well, the analogy is that's how our thinking is as we age. You have an experience and then you have another experience, you have another experience, and pretty quickly as you age, your mind starts to put things in categories and tracks due to experiences that you've had. Well, when you have a psychedelic experience, and this is just an analogy, it essentially puts a fresh blanket of snow down across all of your thought processes. You will see things for the first time. It will literally change everything about your experience. I love that analogy. I love that. You have a hill with snow, a snow-covered hill with all of these sledding and foot feet tracks all over it. And then you kind of get into these ruts and then you do something like psychedelics and then it's just a fresh hill and you can route your thinking in all different new ways. Yeah, that's great. And that's exactly what mindfulness does. When we're practicing mindfulness, we're just constantly just letting go, letting go of old type of thinking patterns. And so it produces that same result. Adding on to that, what you were saying, Jacob, one of the reasons why ayahuasca promotes better mental health is it causes decentering, which is the ability to take a detached view of one's thoughts and emotions, considering them temporary and simply just thoughts. The Experts also believe that ayahuasca supports better cognitive flexibility, which is the ability to shift our perspective or our approach depending on the circumstances. So basically that means it allows us to be more adaptable, which in turn allows us to be happier, more joyful people. 
And I, I thought this was interesting. Ayahuasca temporarily disrupts the neural hierarchies in our brain networks. When I read that, what that leads me to believe is that we have brain networks. There's kind of like this hierarchy to it that this certain network is activated during these certain situations and this network is activated in these other situations. But what the ayahuasca does is it activates a network that we wouldn't normally be using. And so it kind of just jumbles everything up and you have a new different outlook, a new way to approach your thinking. The experts say when these networks are disrupted, that it actually forces us to not think so much. So we're relying on less thinking. But overall, I think ayahuasca helps us tolerate our distressing thoughts better, tolerate our emotions um, and our circumstances because we are less judgmental. Ah, what does that sound like? <laughs> Mindfulness, same deal. So if we want these results, which are awesome, right? Do we learn mindfulness or do we go and do some psychedelics? I guess that choice is up to you. But here's some research. There is a published study published in Psychological Medicine in 2018. The people were mostly in their 30s and 40s, more women than men, and they were diagnosed with treatment-resistant major depressive disorder. And they weren't taking any antidepressants when they did this. They took one milliliter of ayahuasca, which had 0.36 NDMT. And they had two groups. They had the group that took the ayahuasca and then they had a group that took the placebo. It's very difficult to do a double-blind placebo-controlled trial with psychedelics because people know if they got psychedelics or not. I believe that they essentially gave people a form of amphetamine, so like an Adderall-type uh, drug. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's not what they did in this study. They made tea out of oregano. They were trying to get something that was bitter tasting. And the people were in a room for eight hours, and I think that they were in the room by themselves. I think they were individually in rooms and they had someone in the next room, a professional that could help them if they needed help. They took an assessment for depression before they went into the experience and then they took the same assessment afterwards and then they took it seven days later. One of the assessments that they took was called the Montgomery Asper Depression Rating Scale. Comparing before the treatment and seven days later, their depression decreased by 72%. Wow, that's crazy. And they took another assessment as well called the Hamilton, Hamilton Rating Scale for Depression, the HAMD, and that showed that their depression decreased by 63% after the seven days. Some of the questions on that scale were about guilt, suicide, insomnia, as, as some examples. I guess the question is, how long does that last? That was seven days. Does it last months? Mindfulness comes in and a meditation practice for integration is very important. So you'd have follow-up visits typically from a uh, therapeutic standpoint. You you'd do a couple follow-up visits and then you would have a at-home practice to help integrate the lessons and, and experiences that you had. Microdosing it's got just absolutely unbelievable results. Very similar to that, specifically with like psilocybin and like uh, LSD. Yeah, it's just the results are absolutely unbelievable. If you read any of the literature on it, it's just 
mind-boggling. So basically, you have all these beliefs in your head. Some of them are shame cycles. I'm not good enough. I'm, I don't matter. Things like that. Or resentments towards certain people, groups of people. And then you microdose or you go to an ayahuasca ceremony and on some level, that's just erased. Like, is that a good way to, to look at this? The word that I would use in my experience and the experience of people that I've talked to, those things that were very, very loud before just get a little bit more quiet. And then the things that you would want more of just kind of come up. It's it's like the, the, the meme. All your bad feelings turn into good feelings, <laughs> kind of. It's really, really bizarre. It, it, yeah, it's magic. I mean, it really is. But I mean, these compounds have been used throughout human history. The Greeks and Romans would have mushroom ceremonies, Aztecs and Incans. It's just always been there. What's blowing my mind is how similar this process is the, using the psychedelics to mindfulness. I mean, you're describing all the things that I do in my coaching sessions. I'm helping people become mindful of these shame cycles, of these ways of thinking that are leading them to anxiety and depression. Once my clients become aware of them, then they become quieter, right? They don't hold as much power over the person because you've kind of woken up to it and you realize that all this thinking and this perception is not really true, and it's just this chatter that's going on and just kind of comes in and goes out. It's very interesting. So this other published research is called The Effectiveness of Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy for Reducing Rumination and Improving Mindfulness and Self-Compassion in Patients with Treatment-Resistant Depression. Participants in this study participated in eight mindfulness-based cognitive therapy sessions. And some of the things that they went over during those sessions was becoming mindful of being in autopilot mode. Autopilot mode can lead to the rumination, which leads to depression. And self-awareness, acceptance of circumstances, it's a huge mindfulness piece. Seeing thoughts as simply a product of the mind and not really real, right? And also some of the practice that they learned is body scans, mindful breathing, mindful movement, stretching, and sitting meditation. So that's what these folks did during those eight sessions. In this study, the control and the experimental group were both given antidepressants. They used something called the Beck Depression Inventory, and depression was decreased 82%. That's pretty amazing. Depression decreased by 82%. The mindfulness one was higher. But they're both really high. I think they're both winners here. The Hamilton rating scale, the HAMD, they took in both studies. So this is a good comparison. With the ayahuasca, depression decreased by 63%. And with the mindfulness-based therapy, the HAMD depression decreased by 75%. Both really high. But I'm a kind of competitive, so I'm just going to say that mindfulness beat them by just a little bit. But I think it's a win-win situation. I mean, they both have their place. If we're comparing psychedelics to mindfulness, first off, if you do a psychedelic therapy, they are going to administer a mindfulness practice for integration anyway. So ah, they're not okay. exclusive. With that being said, some people always want a magic pill. That's why meditation apps became a thing. How available is it to get into a psychedelic therapeutic setting that's safe? 
very, very difficult. You know, it's very tough to find. It's a little bit exclusive, especially if you have a family history of schizophrenia. You are not allowed to do psychedelics. You will not be able to be administered to it. The thing that is pretty much accessible to everybody, it's a steeper path, but it's a safer path and it is readily available, is mindfulness meditation. When we're talking microdosing, it's a very different situation. That is much more inclusive for most people. Be unfortunately still an illegal endeavor, unless you live in a state like Colorado that has legalized, and I think Washington has also legalized mushrooms. Psychedelics isn't for everybody. There's certain obstacles for some people. It could be a mental health history obstacle. It could be where you live. It's just really hard to join a group that's a really safe, sacred situation to to engage in something like this. And also the legal limitations. If you're someone that has a job or just has concern about getting into some kind of legal situation, then that would be another obstacle with the psychedelics. But mindfulness is legal in every state. So there you go. I'm putting a big plug in for, for mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is the same thing. You need to be able to find the right teacher or the right therapist. And that can be an obstacle also to find someone that's really knowledgeable and who you really trust. And it feels like a good, a good fit, but I don't think we can deny the positive results that people are uncovering over and over with, with psychedelics. I mean, it's pretty astounding. Yeah. For anybody listening that has not looked into it, it's unbelievable. You know, take an hour and just do some some Google searches about the therapeutic benefits. And, and then you can Google hangups as well. But I mean, if you do any amount of research about, about human history and how psychedelics has played a role in our history, they have been integral in, in our societies. And then just read Michael Pollan's work. It's just incredible. Is he the guy that wrote Omnimore's Dilemma? Yep. Food Rules. Yeah, he wrote How to Change Your Mind. He wrote This Is Your Mind on Plants. That's his most recent book. I haven't read that one yet, but yeah, I'm a big fan. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD Mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.